Additional support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Integrated Heat Treating Solutions, bringing heat treating into the 21st century. If you're heat treating parts the way you've done it for 20 years or more, it's time to upgrade. Visit www.integratedheattreatingsolutions.com and bring your heat treating into the 21st century. Integratedheattreatingsolutions.com Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today. In today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Joe Powell of Integrated Heat Treating Solutions on rethinking heat treating. I strongly recommend that you listen to parts one and two of this series, as well as today's episode. All three are fascinating. To hear the first two parts, simply Bing or Google Heat Treat Radio Joe Powell. It will be the first thing that pops up. All right, let's jump into today's episode. So we're here again today with Joe Powell, who is the uh, president and CEO of Akron Steel Treating, as well as a company called Integrated Heat Treating Solutions. And we're here to talk about a, what I think, if you've listened to the first two episodes of this four-part series, is a very fascinating, I think somewhat revolutionary uh, advancement in heat treat. So first off, Joe, I just want to welcome you back to uh, episode number three here. Welcome back. Thank you, Doug. Well, today, today, basically what we want to talk about is another really interesting example of what we talked about of the of the of the general concept that we talked about in session number one, so I want to review that first session just very briefly and ask you a couple of the quick questions before we jump into the example of a fracking pump valve seat. That's where we're headed today. So, uh, but first, maybe from a thirty thousand foot view, Joe, because always I'm always interested to hear you you say it. Tell us what we're talking about here. What, what, if, you were to, if you were to put this in a minute, how would you describe what it is you've been doing over at, uh, at Integrated Heat Treating Solutions? Well, Integrated Heat Treating Solutions is a consultancy that takes 75 years of practical commercial heat treating and applies it to help uh, part makers make better parts using heat treating um, uh, knowledge that we've gained over those last 75 years as well as uh, working with the material makers um, who want to get more added value out of a given uh, hardenability material. Um, so what, it, what it's essentially doing is taking off on the idea that uh, quenching causes the most problems in heat treating. It causes distortion, part cracking, and size change that's unpredictable. And, and that uh, distortion engineering has been part of the ASM and other societies that have had task, task force and committees and various um, conferences that are dedicated to the control of distortion. And the reality is the control of distortion has been approached by um, many, many people, including Dr. George Totten, uh, who uh, was one of the inventors of the reverse solubility polymers when he worked for Dow Chemical and Union Carbide, and Dr. Kabasko in the former Soviet Union, who was my partner in IQ Technologies back in 
uh, starting back in 1999. And what we've discovered working with all of these very smart people is that the quench cooling curve and its relationship to or quench cooling rate and its relationship to uh, causing part distortion or part cracking is a bell-shaped curve. In other words, if you quench very slowly in air or gas or hot oil or martemper salts, uh, hot salts for os tempering, you will not crack the part. Uh, but if you quench faster in brine or water or even water polymer mixtures that uh, don't have enough polymer in them to act like an oil quench, the cooling rate uh, will become relatively fast, and that relatively fast cooling rate will give you a much higher probability of part cracking. Until on some parts, you'll literally crack every part you put in the quench if it's quenched in water. If you can create a shell on the outside of the part and quench it uh, 400 to 600 degrees centigrade per second, um, that that shell will literally hold that hard, hot part while the hot core thermally shrinks underneath and pulls that shell under compression. And as that thermally cooling, sh uh, thermally cooling shell and uh, hardened shell out of martensite uh, goes through volume change and actually increases in volume, the grains are actually pushed up against each other under, under compressive surface stresses. And that compressive surface stress holds the part like a die. So regard, regardless of its uh, geometry or mass, that part is going to come out of the quench, having cooled by uniform conduction down to its core through that shell uh, in a very predictable shape. Right, right. So that, I think that's good. I mean, that, that's what I wanted to get to is just the, the fact that what we're talking about here is, is a quenching issue. It's it's quenching parts fast enough so that in a sense what you're doing is creating a, a hard outer immovable shell if you will on the outside in, pretty much instantaneously which holds that part in place while the core cools down to uh down to the you know the temperature that's needed the quenching media in, in in one sense doesn't really matter it can be done the issue is getting it, it quenched getting the, the that shell formed quickly uniformly and then and then holding the holding it at a certain temperature just until the core the core cools so uh, you and I have spoken in the past Joe about a kind of an interesting quote which I'd like you to comment on before again we get to the uh, fracking pump valve seat example of what we're talking about and that's this quote I'd like you to to address if you could for for the folks. Everyone knows how to heat treat. All you need is a torch and a bucket of water. That's that's correct. Everybody, every machinist that you'll ever meet, and even a machining handbook will tell you how to heat treat a part um, and do it quick and dirty. The, the problem is everybody thinks that because they've heat treated a part in the past that they know a lot about heat treating, and that's just not the case. There is so much to know that uh, all I can tell you is that uh, every day I learn something new, and every day I learn that in the 23 years that I've been working on heat treat quenching and focusing on that and controlling of distortion, there's always something new, and there's always something new in the field of what I call metallophysics. Right, right. So I, it, it brings me back to the a couple of thoughts along that line. One, it's the I, whole idea that 
a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? We think we know, and therefore we we don't. But I, I I'd like to visit that the your because you've told me this story in the past, and I think it's worth our listeners hearing it. And that's the just an abbreviated version of the Jack Wallace story. Again, Jack Wallace being the 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 head guru, let's say the head heat treat metallurgical guru at Case Western uh, Reserve or the University uh, there in Cleveland, comes into your shop and you tell him, you know, I can intensively quench or I can quench these things so super fast, and he looks at you and says, "You are a crazy man. It's not possible." Yeah, actually, it was worse than that. It was okay. <laughs> uh, Dr. Michael Aronoff came from Russia and was telling. Jack uh, about this technology that Dr. Kabasco discovered back in the former Soviet Union. So it had two strikes against it. It was not only was it new information and contrary to the idea that the faster you quench, the more likely you are to blow up the part. Uh, it was also uh, contrary to the information that, hey, we're, we're here in the United States. We know all about heat treating so, uh, and metallurgy. So at the end of the day, um, this this metallophysics twist that Dr. Cabasco put on the dynamics of the heating and cooling process is really the key to understanding and viewing metallurgy from a from a, from really another dimension and and that dimension is the dimension of uh, residual and current compressive stresses that are that are affecting the part. And that's what Dr. Uh, Cabasco uh, told us about. And finally, uh, that's what unlocked uh, the ability of the, uh, the parts that uh, Professor Wallace witnessed being quenched, not cracking. I would have loved to have been there when and and seen the the eyebrows of Dr. Wallace, you know, as he's yeah, <laughs> yeah. coming out. Yeah, well the other the other the other two metallurgists that were in the room besides me, yeah. uh the other two owners of heat treating companies, uh Wayne Samuelson and John Vanis at Euclid Heat Treating, and Wayne owned um Shore Metal Treating at that time. Um both of them basically wrote Michael off as a crack crackpot because they they heard what uh, Professor Wallace had said. I was the only one dumb enough to think, oh, well, come on down. If you want to demonstrate some parts, yeah. they're either going to blow up or they're not. And if they don't blow up, it'll be interesting. And if they do blow up, it'll be funny. So yeah, yeah, try it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give it a shot. So the other the other guy, I, wa- I wanted to, the, our listeners just to hear some of the other people who are now, as I say in quotes, air quotes here, true believers, right? I mean, you've yeah. got Jack Wallace, who now believes what you say is actually true. You've also got, yeah. if I believe, George Totten, right, who is kind of the king oh, yeah, of Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, he's actually written a book with us uh, for the uh, ASTM book. It's uh, publication number 64, I believe. And uh, that book, it tells you exactly how to build uh, the first generation and second generation of IQ equipment, intensive quenching equipment. And George also said in 2014, after he retired from uh, making polymer quenchants that you don't really need oils or polymer quenchants. You can do quenching very nicely with a properly designed system, a quenching system and water or water and a little bit of salt. And so uh, that was a pretty strong statement from a guy who spent literally his career uh, making those quenchants better. Yeah, right. 
Right. And how about, you had mentioned also one other individual, and then we'll jump into the uh, fracking pump valve seat example, um, uh, Robert O'Rourke. Yes, he's, uh, he's a metallurgist with over 30 years experience with uh, ductile iron. And Bob worked with uh, one of the industry giants, uh, Chip Keogh, uh, who founded Applied Process and Ostempered Ductile Iron. And uh, Chip's company worked with the Ductile Iron Society uh, for many years and with Bob O'Rourke, who was one of the principals um, at the Ductile Iron Society. In fact, he was president back in 2015. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he he basically said that um, we can take this kind of crappy material, ductile iron, and we can ostemper it. And Chip made a, a very good business out of ostempering of ductile iron at applied process and converted many, many parts from um, either as-cast ductile iron or even steel parts to ostempered ductile iron parts. And that, uh, to me, showed that it's possible to take a heat treating process and apply it to a material and create literally a new material out of as-cast uh, ductile irons. And uh, the next step, however, and Chip even said it, he said, I know what you guys are doing. He says, when we quench in salt, it's very uniform. There's no, there's no film boiling. There's no non-uniformity in the cooling. He says, all you're doing is you're just kicking it up a notch with higher intensity and knocking knocking off the film boiling uh, with the agitation, the intensive agitation. I said, you're absolutely right, uh, Chip. And what we did not know at that time was that it could be applied to ductile iron. We'll be back to assess how this innovative technology helps cut costs in the heat treatment of fracking pump valve seats. But here's a question for you. Have you considered what this technology could be doing for you? Where could costs be cut in your heat treat process? Integrated Heat Treating Solutions provides a holistic approach to your heat treating operation and can provide you with amazing results which will save you mega bucks in operational costs. If you're heat treating parts the same way you've been doing it for 10, 20, or even 30 years, it is time to upgrade. To learn more, visit integratedheattreatingsolutions.com. Don't heat treat in the 19th century or even the 20th. Get your process into the 21st century. Contact Integrated Heat Treat Heat Treating Solutions today. That's www.integratedheattreatingsolutions.com. All right. Now, let's hear about this real-world application on a fracking pump valve seat. Let's jump into this uh, fracking pump valve seat, okay? So a couple couple basic questions. First off, uh, we're talking about a, 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 a pump that is used in the fracking industry to extract out, I assume, the, the fracking fluids and things of that sort, I suppose, right? It's actually to inject the high-pressure water sand, and they they call the sand a propent because after the after the after the pump has fractured the the shale layers, 
then they inject in water and sand to hold up and and uh, prop up those cracks in the in the in the uh, ge- uh, the, the geology and allow the gas to flow out more quickly. Okay, good. So, but it, it, the the point is, it's a very rugged. Takes the the pump takes a beating. So, what was the problem that the company was having? I mean, how did it come to your attention? Well, the the frackers were having to rebuild the pumps every forty to sixty hours and replace these valve seats because they had high pressure water and sand flowing through the valve, and the valve would open and close under pressure at about uh, four times a second. And that that constant abrasion of the valve opening and closing and banging into the seat was causing the seat to wear out. And then once the seat is worn, then the pump can't maintain its pressure. And they're, they're not getting anywhere in terms of uh, uh, putting that fluid down in that well and, and making it uh, produce more oil and gas products. Right. Right. So that was, so essentially you've got fracking companies who are, are having to replace valve seats, rebuild the, rebuild the valves every 40 to 60 hours. What was the, what was the material that was being used for the valve seat? Well, for years, these, these types of seats were made out of 8620 carburized steel. Uh, they usually start with a, 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 a forged ring and then they machine that ring into a valve seat uh, with a taper and a strike face uh, where the valve closes onto the valve seat. Mm-hmm. And that part is generally carburized around 90 thousandths of an inch effective case depth and uh, tempered and then put into the, uh, put into the pumps. And uh, again, that, that, that case-hardened surface is uh, 60 to 65 Rockwell and wears very, very well uh, and resists the abrasion of the sand and the water. And it also, because it's 8620, it has a ductile core underneath that strike face that absorbs the impact of the valve opening and closing on top of it uh, every four seconds under pressure and absorbs that, that impact. So uh, you have, have to have a combination of hard yet ductile. Uh, and you have to have a, uh, a tough part that resists uh, wear and abrasion. And, and so the main, the main problem was... The, the, these guys were using it and still having to replace it every 40 to 60 hours. So what, was, what, was, your, what was your thinking on it, and how did you guys help? Well, a whole bunch of people had tried to put uh, tungsten carbide inserts into the strike face to make the strike face even harder than case-hardened material. Um, they then, then a company came out with a solid, centered tungsten carbide valve seat that costs upwards of five to $800 each. And you got to remember there's t- 10 of them in the pump. And they, they were billed as a lifetime valve seat because they actually outlasted the, the pump block and some of the other uh, you know, parts of the pump. Yeah. And, but that was not a great solution because at that point, um, you know, you have a seat that's lasting longer than the, than the, than the pump block. Right. You still had to take the pump apart anyway for other things that were worn. It's, it's too good and it's too expensive. It's got 8,000 
dollars worth of seats, you're not going to throw the pump block out because it's worn out. You're going to try to remove those those seats. So again, what what they were looking for was a uh, what they called a longer life valve seat, and not necessarily a lifetime valve seat. Something that would last for all of the stages used by that pump in at a certain well, so that they would move it at the end of the uh, time that the well was completely fracked and was starting to produce, and take it back and and rebuild it at their shop. Right. So that was something they were shooting for 200 hours is basically what they were shooting for. Right. Which the normal again the normal was 40 to 60 hours. Right. With uh, this right. 8620 material. Okay. Right. And so having had the experience with the elongator roll and the ability to make something that was um, literally so hard they couldn't knurl it, uh, and we had to temper those elongator rolls back uh, quite a bit in order for them to knurl them and then use them at the, at the mill, mm-hmm. I thought, well, if we, if we don't temper the valve seat back and just leave it that hard, it should be, it should be carbide like hard because if a carbide tool can't knurl it, uh, it's pretty doggone hard. So we, uh, fired up our existing piece of equipment that we had at Akron steel treating a 6,000 gallon, uh, intensive quenching tank. We heated the parts and we quenched them in that big batch tank. And we, and we got very, um, very non-uniform results. And one of the things that we did not understand back in 2012 was that ductile iron, because of all of the graphite particles that are in there, has a very low thermal diffusivity, meaning that in order to get the heat into it or the heat out of it during the quench, you've got to be more than intensive. You've got to be what I call instantaneously impacting that surface with high pressure water that uh, literally pulls the pulls the uh, the heat out at uh, a rate that will allow you to get to the martensite start temperature cool to the martensite start temperature and form that shell in less than two tenths of a second and you have to and you have to do that all over the part surface to create that shell which required the making of some new induction heating equipment that has an integrated um, integrated quench system built into it. This integrated heat uh, quench system uh, is going way past the uh, ability of our 6,000-gallon uh, tank with its propellers, uh, you know, flowing the water laminarly across the surface and literally Im- impacting the part instantaneously uh, after the induction heat is turned off. Right. So I want to mention to the, the listeners that we'll put a, a photo of this part in the, in the transcript that we'll have on the website so that they can get a, a, a much better sense of, of what the part is, because there are some, there are some lips and turns and there's an in, inside diameter and an outside diameter. So like you say, if you're flowing water laminally over this, you're going to be missing parts and the, and the point uh, you're going to be missing uh, areas of the part. Uh, so you need to get it quenched quickly. So, so anyhow, yeah. you developed this. Did, and, yeah, go ahead. They actually, did, they actually did crack in the O-ring groove and under the flange yeah. out of our 6,000 gallon tank. So we knew we had to do something different. 
Right. So right. the first thing we tried was not to have is was to put in the flange and the and the O-ring groove after it was heat treated, but that wasn't going to work because the part maker didn't want to have to machine it twice. So we had to come up with a way of delivering that water all over the shell of that part and also keeping the uh, the core relatively ductile. We didn't want to harden it all the way through and make it brittle. So um, so that's what we came up with working with the folks at induction tooling in uh, North, North Royalton. So it was basically an induction heat and a and a and a an integral induction quench, very high impact, instantaneous, probably way beyond what, uh, yeah. what yeah. anybody else has seen. So just describe very briefly what kind of horsepower needed to go into the quench, if you will. Uh, well, again, we used a um, we used a sixty gallon per minute pump for the ID and a sixty gallon per minute pump on the OD. And and both pumps were operating at 60 psi, so quite a bit of quite a bit of pressure and quite a bit of uh, uh, of flow over a very very small area, which is exactly what needed to be done. So so right. talk about talk about the results. I mean, what what can we say? Uh, you're you're hinting at them here, but what are we talking about? You know, Rockwell well, hardness it, and that type of stuff. Yeah, we're we're getting sixty plus Rockwell hardness, and again, you got to remember this is an apparent hardness because the Rockwell machine is fooled by the very soft graphite particles that are in the matrix. So you have very very hard martensitic uh, martensitic iron and carbon uh, in the surface, but you also have these little uh, particles of uh, graphite, spherical graphite, and that graphite acts as we believe a lubricant. We haven't quantified it in the valve seat, but we quantified it for uh, some dyes that that gives lubricity that's not present in a steel part. Uh, the graphite lubricates the you know whatever's traveling over the surface of the part. And the other thing that that we learned um, is that the compressive residual surface stresses, when tested by X-ray diffraction, are about double that you get when you do carburization of the 8620 valve seat. So that very high residual compressive surface stresses also holds those grains of iron uh, iron carbides in, in, um, in place and does not allow them to abrade or erode. And so the, in the first testing that was done, in the field test, uh, that we had three seats that went out to the field somewhere in West Texas, I'm told, and they lasted 166 hours. <laughs> so, so we were almost there. So yeah. we modified the we modified the quenching system. We modified our heating uh, recipe uh, on the induction tooling, and we made another set of uh, valve seats, which we are currently um, sending out for uh, more field testing. So we hope we're there. Um, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But we've literally created a new material. So it's the history of ductile iron goes from ASCAST to Ostempered ductile iron, and now what we call instantly quenched ductile iron or IQDI. Nice, nice. So let's talk. Uh, you know, it all sounds very, very interesting. But I can see some people listening to this saying, "Okay, 
how much is this going to save me? So let's talk about the ways very briefly that this, this process saves money. In my mind, you've got a shorter processing cycle time on the, yeah. the creating the part. You're using less expensive material and you're getting yeah. a longer life. Are those the three major ones? Well, there's also one other, and that is uh, ductile iron because of those graphite particles machines about three times faster than steel. Mm -hmm. So your throughput in your CNC machine goes up uh, by two or three times um, um, when you're making the part, and that's no small that's no small matter. Uh, yeah. Also, the, the the because the the quench is so impactful and so uniformly impactful it sets the part and you literally uh get a part that quenches to fit and that mm -hmm. means that once the once the green size before heat treating is adjusted uh the part may not need uh much or if any final grinding right right so you're saving on post heat treat processing as well right right okay all right, good. And because we use no oil, we don't have to wash the parts. We don't have to worry about disposing of quench oils or uh, quench oil fires. And and the process can be done at in the machining cell. So it's an inline inline process versus a batch carburizing process that has to go someplace for twenty hours to be carburized. Yeah, got it. So uh, a, a significant, and I think you you threw out a dollar figure when we spoke about this previously, of how much they were saving per valve seat? Is that right, or was well, that the bevel gear? Again, uh, <laughs> no, the, yeah, the, the bevel gear, they saved $750 on not okay. having to grind the teeth. That's what I was thinking. Because it was an 18-inch gear, yeah. yeah. The, the, the valve seat, approximately, you do away with the forging, you do away with the 20-hour carburizing cycle, and you machine it three times faster. The one customer uh, let slip that they were saving about 66% on the material cost, Wow, basically. okay. Wow, yeah. So significant cost savings, I guess, is the point. So something worth looking into. We're going to have one more episode where we talk about another example. What, uh, what do you think we'll talk about in that last one? Well, the integration of heat treating uh, into the forging process. Got it. Uh, okay. The Forging Industry Association sponsored a project with IQ Technologies. Mm -hmm. um, Akron Steel Treating is a member of the Forging Industry uh, Technical Committee and has been for years. And we've always thought that there should be a closer alliance between uh, forgers and their heat treaters. Yep. So we're gonna we're gonna take the information that we gained from this four-year project. Um, the published final report will be on our website, and we are going to try to commercialize that for a lot of different parts. Good, good. All right, super. Well, we'll cover more of that in our, our next and last uh, podcast with you, Joe. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for being with us today. It's been, been always interesting and been intriguing. All right. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode. In the final segment of this four-part series, Joe Powell will share how his company is applying forge intensive quench to create better, more efficient, and part-specific heat treating processes. You'll not want to miss this last episode. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to reach out to Joe Powell, you can go to integratedheattreatingsolutions.com 
or AkronSteelTreating.com. You could also send an email directly to me and I'll put you in touch with Joe. My email is Doug at HeatTreatToday.com. We're always interested in new Heat Treat Radio topics. If you have an idea, send me an email and we'll find a way to put it into our future schedule. Additionally, if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode, simply email me. Again, my email is Doug at HeatTreatToday.com. As we are getting to the end of 2020, the future is lean and green. If you want to stay up to date on the latest heat treating trends and news in the aerospace, automotive, medical, and energy, as well as general manufacturing sectors, go to www.heattreattoday.com to learn more. Search news items, technical articles, educational videos, and even get a free 18-page ebook created in cooperation with Nell Hydrogen. It's titled Hydrogen Generation and Its Benefits for Heat Treaters. Go to our site and search under the Resources tab for this and many more heat treating resources. Again, simply search Heat Treat Today and our site will be the first, uh, first option that you see. Imagine heat treating without cracking or distortion. That's what the good people at Integrated Heat Treat Solutions bring to the table. Heat Treat Today would like to thank Integrated Heat Treating Solutions for their financial support of this broadcast. Find out more at IntegratedHeatTreatingSolutions.com. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advance written permission from Heat Treat Today. Our talented audio producer is Jonathan Lloyd, and he created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. See his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thank you, Jonathan. Bethany Funk is Heat Treat Today's podcast editor. Thank you, Bethany. And I am your host, Doug Glenn. Thank you for listening. <laughs>